This episode is brought to you by Creative Edge. Creative Edge specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Welcome to In the Mouth of Monster. I'm your host, Monster Dugan, and with me today in the lair is John Schatzer. Hello. How are you doing today, sir? I'm all right. How Just you doing? Right. Uh, I'm getting there. Uh, I got a lot of busy, it's a busy time of the year here, being that this is, you know, kicking off October, so. Yeah, yeah, we're recording this the last day of September, <clears throat> and I've already got my uh, stack of movies sitting here, and I am, I am going to have a massive movie marathon which is my tradition, which reminds me, I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody. Um, if you go over to my website, uh, crappymoviereviews.com, um, and you see at the top of the, the main column there, the, uh, featured, uh, the featured post, hey, that'll link to my list of my October marathon. So stop by and see the crap that I'm watching. And if you all think of something I, I haven't done yet, give me a yell. Send me an email. You can get a hold of me right there. Because I like my all time my all time high was seventy three. I managed to watch seventy three and my goal this year is to beat that I think it was three or four years ago I got up to seventy three. My goal is to to get around eighty at least. So Yeah, that's a lot of watching. That's a few a day. So Yep. Good luck. <laughs> I can do it. I, I usually go nuts too, uh you know. Being that it's October, I that's what I do for my October is I basically, I mean, being a horror nerd, you know, it's a lifestyle, so we watch horror stuff all year round. But when October hits, that's when I go nuts and I watch n- literally nothing but um, horror content. So be it TV or films or whatever, just anything horror related. I don't watch, literally don't watch anything else except for horror stuff during this time. So, yeah, yeah. funny that you got your, said you got your stack. I actually went... Uh, through my closet and my boxes last night and busted out a, a couple of stacks of myself of stuff I'm going to start watching. So I'm already, yep. you know, I already jumped into it a little bit cause mm-hmm. I, I started watching um, some of the uh, children of the corn and return of the living dead and stuff. But yeah, you know, it, for me, it's, it's like throughout the year, I need between the, the various podcasts I do and the, the, you know, three, three new reviews a week at the, at the website at least three news a week and plus the magazines and crap that I write for, I, I end up watching a lot of stuff for content, whether, you know, for one of those places I got to put it and it's great because it, the nobody is doing any magazines this time of year. And, you know, I've got, I got enough to keep the website going throughout the month. So October becomes the month where I go back and watch all my old favorites. I know I'm going to have a thing from another world, which is the, the old black and white one with James Arness. Oh, yeah definitely going to get some carpenter going um always towards the end of the month i finish it off with some romero flicks um, most of the time my, there's a double feature of my favorite movie ever dawn of the dead and followed by day of the dead it's kind of that sort of no, normally ends uh ends my month out of course yeah i'll have some uh, evil dead goodness uh some william castle flicks i'm a huge val luton fan so you know maybe some like isle of the dead or i walked with a zombie seventh victim you ever seen seventh victim no i actually have not yeah that's an old 40s film 
And of all the Val Luton flicks, Seventh Victim, it's about Satanists, and and it's really, really good. Y'all should listen. Yeah, y'all should watch that. It's it's. I know everybody's like, oh, it's a 40s film, blah blah blah. You know, no, dude. You know, if you're one of those doofuses that goes, I don't watch black and white movies. Watch the Seventh Victim because it's gonna creep you the hell out. Yeah, you know. Uh... If, I mean, some people just don't, you know, they can't, they can't take black and white and stuff like that. But they aren't the type of people that should be watching these type of that that movie. Then, uh, you know, if if that, you know, anyway, uh, uh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't shouldn't crap on movies because they're old old horror movies. That's you know, that's that's my jam. I mean, I grew up watching them, so I grew up on Universal, and I love this shit. But uh, if you don't like old black and white movies, you're you're just wrong. Everybody I, should would, love them. I kind of have to agree. So <laughs> don't at us. But <laughs> oh, go ahead and at me all you want. I'm ready. Uh, no, I went through some of my favorites already. Like I said before, on the, uh, one of the last episodes, I watched uh, Night, Night of the Demons, the remake, which is one I usually love to watch uh, during this time. I also watched uh, uh, Zombie Guide, uh, our Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse, uh, which I love that film. Uh, you know, so. I've watched, I watched, started watching a few myself here and there, and already hopping into it because um, for for us big time nerds, uh, October has already started uh, a couple of weeks ago. So. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I save everything. I save everything. I actually took tomorrow off, so I'm off Friday. Uh, the, October first is a Friday. I took it off because we're doing this, and then at midnight when it's officially October, I'm actually throwing a movie in. I'm I'm just gonna. I cleared my schedule. I don't got to go to work. I, I All of my little social events have been canceled basically because of COVID. But but uh, yeah, I'm just I'm I, my schedule is clear and I'm going to watch some movies. A lot of them I don't even have to take notes on or anything like I'm just going to kick back and watch them like a normal person. Yeah, I just uh, I rented uh, the Forever Purge. So I'm going to go through and watch the first four Purge films and then watch that one. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that new one looks like. Because I, I really enjoy those Purge films and the and the TV show with the two seasons it had. So, but yeah, so yeah, this is when my the time of the year when I started watching all kinds of crazy stuff too. And my brother and I have basically I busted out all my Child's Play and Chucky stuff because there is the new uh, Chucky series that's coming out this October. So, um, on Sci-Fi Channel, and that's by Don Mancini, um, who's basically done every film from the beginning. You know, writing and directing. So except I'm that real god awful remake. Oh, yeah. Well, that one we don't even count. That's not even an actual... I mean, it's a Terminator movie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's basically the Terminator all over again, except for now it's Chucky, because they can use that to cash grab, use the name to cash grab, so... But, yeah, so I don't even count that one. I don't... That's not one of the ones I'm talking about. (laughs) But, yeah, they have that new uh, TV series that's coming out on... I want to say, like, the 15th or something like that, but, yeah, it looks fantastic, and I can't wait. It's Mancini again, and... um, some of the same actors are back, and I, so I always have a problem with those child play movies. Why is that? It's a fucking doll. Well, yeah, that's what me and my brother said. I was like, just kick the damn thing, or yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, like, come on, man, like, right. uh, you're a little <laughs> fucking doll. I'm gonna grab a ball peen hammer. I'm gonna bust your ass up. It, you well, know, it's not like it's not like you're a critter. Hey, it shoots the spikes that knock people out. It's not like you know, like monsters. I'm like. Well, uh, this is a fucking doll, man. He's made out of plastic. 
I would like to see Chucky versus Annabelle and see what happens with that. <laughs> see, I think that's different because it's not Annabelle's really not just Annabelle's really not a doll. Annabelle's yeah, like the this, it, yes, the thing possessing the doll. Yeah. And that's different. But it's like, you know, it's like he's trapped in that body. That's why he needs the kids. So I'm like, well fuck, man. Just just throw the doll in a bunch of concrete, let it dry, and he's in there forever. I, I the child's play movies just never got kids because even if you watch that first one, they're trying really hard. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, Chris Sarandon would have reached back, grabbed that doll and beat its head against the dash. Right. Yeah, actually, I uh, the, I have a copy of the first film. Um, I, I bought it from Tom Holland, you know, director Tom Holland. Yeah. And uh, it's signed by uh, what's his name? You just said it. Chris. Uh, Chris Sarandon. Sarandon right? Yeah. It's signed by him. And um and by Tom Holland and by the guy that played Andy. Uh, I forget his name right off the top of my head. But yeah. Yeah. So I, I thought it was kind of cool. It has, you know, it's authenticated. It has a, um, a certificate of authenticity and it's a certain uh, there's only twenty five hundred made. So it was kind of cool to have that. But but yeah, I, you know, it's a doll thing. Have you actually heard um, the original? I mean, I'm sure you probably have of, of uh, Robert the doll that Chucky was based on. It's a creepy ass story, man. That yeah. Robert the doll thing, where they like people would walk by the house and see it up on in the second story, walking uh, back and forth in the window and stuff like that. Creepy as shit, man. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of dolls because they creep me out. Cause you know, but I mean, Chucky would be a cool one to have. But <laughs> assuming he didn't come to life and and kill me or or become a new AI of some sort and kill me, but. All right, well, with all the shenanigans out of the way again, let's hop into our Video Deadly segment here. We're going to take a look at a film today by director Seth Breedlove. So we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. You live down the bayou. You're going to see things you've never seen before in your whole life. You snap pictures at night from across the bayou, anywhere in this area, you'll see. It'll come, it'll show up. Most stores have the Rugaruas wolf-like. Eight feet, nine feet tall. A Rugaru looks like a half man and half wolf. What, what it is, is curse. Somebody curses me. I was running as fast as I could. I could feel his breath and his growl, this rumble, right behind me. And I'm just running and running. And I'm, the only thing I could think of is that claw was going to cut me in half. Back at the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, heading heading into our video deadly segment here. And today we were sent, uh, well, we weren't sent. Um, I reached out and tried to get a copy sent to us, but we couldn't get it in time. So we just uh, went ahead and uh, 
watched it on Amazon Prime, but we're going to be reviewing Skinwalker, Howl of the Rougarou by Small Town Monsters and Seth Breedlove. This is something that he's had in the in the works for a while, and it was just kind of nice to see him finally get a chance to do it. Um, Lyle Blackburn's back hosting, of course. And basically, basically, it's a documentary that goes into the legend of the dogman slash werewolf slash skinwalker legends that popped up around Louisiana. And it's part of the truth. And it was interesting how they did it, you know, but it's basically some history lesson along with some eyewitness testimony. And, you know, it's it is it's basically what you expect. There's a lot of talking heads, people talking, relating and and either telling you this is that. And and, and, and it's also narrated uh, really well. But, yeah, it's just basically if you're you're into the werewolf legends and skinwalker legends and, you know, it's basically they don't ever totally say, is it a werewolf? Is it is a skinwalker. Is it a, you know, yeah. the Rougarou is what it is. You know, they're just kind of like, there's something out there. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. It's a werewolf legend, and, and you know, it's every every country and, and area has their own versions of it. So, but this is the, you know, the New Orleans, Louisiana one. So, yeah, they were uh, talking about how each new group, like the Irish and the French, would bring different parts and it would get integrated into the legend of the skinwalker. You know, like the the French would have one version of a werewolf story, and then the Irish shows up, and sometimes their werewolves and their his and their folklore are are beneficial rather than just bad. You know, it's just kind of cool how everything got mixed together. Uh, I also thought it was pretty awesome how they talked about the history of the Indian tribes and the legend of the one tribe that went out and got completely feral and were skinwalkers. Um, and just so you, yeah. in case you guys don't yeah, know, skinwalkers is you know, basically magic. You wrap yourself up in the skin of an animal and you, you take that animal's form. Shape-shifting, basically. You know, it's... it's. I liked it. I even liked how they were talking about it. It's like, you know, how, how the Rougarou... You know, even though it's an Indian legend that was there long before the Catholics, how, like, you know, stuff got in... added to it. Like, you know, um, like, the, the, you, you could get cursed. And there are all the rules about getting cursed. But there's also a rule that if you don't follow Lent, and if you're not Catholic, that means you got to eat fish on Friday, no red meat. Well, if you don't follow Lent, the, you could, uh, the Rougarou could come for you, or you could become a Rougarou or something. I just thought it was interesting. And I don't know about you, dude, but remember, if you remember back when we were talking about their, the last small town monsters thing we were talking about, I complained a little bit in there about, I've seen all this before. They didn't cover any new ground with the old UFO stuff. This is totally different. They did a deep, deep dive. Yeah. And they were, they were like tossing out. They clearly did a ton of research. And they were tossing out all kinds of new stuff. And, all the, and, they, and they weren't just saying it. They were actually having people explain, you know, the legend and explain, you know, th their, their uh, experiences and I just, I thought it was really cool. I'm rambling. I'll stop now. Yeah, no, there was some brand new um, interviews of story, you know, stories told that we haven't heard before. Yeah. So, I, yeah, this is something that, yeah, because, I'm, you know, I'm a big dog man and, and you know, lichen and Rougarou type of person myself. I love that, those type of things. Like I said, um, last year I went for Halloween. I basically w went on a werewolf uh, kick and was watching any werewolf thing I could get my hands on. But, yeah, you know, it's. 
well, I just want to say it's it's it creeped me out. This film really creeped me out because he brought a lot of stuff that people don't know about, and and the visualizations of the dramatizations that he did, you know, for each for some of the stories. I mean, he did a fantastic job with that stuff. Some of those uh, werewolf, you know, they he did like shaky cam and things like that to kind of you know make you know blurred it out a little bit and stuff like that to kind of you know make it more realistic but some of the werewolf scenes that he put together are were fantastic i don't know where he got the, the costumes and stuff but some of that stuff looked great but yeah it really creeped me out because you know it's like dog man and you know this is the rougarou one this is what they're really basing it on you know werewolves in general are creepy as shit um i've heard so many different crazy werewolf stories and this one there was a few that i haven't heard before and i thought the atmosphere that he of the film was, you know, that he made, it was just fantastic. Like it really creeped me out. Um, there was a couple times where I kind of got the chills and stuff and was like, wow, man, this is, and the, th and the thing is, is a lot of these people he interviews, you know, whether they believe, I mean, whether the stories are the stories real or not, they believe that whatever they're telling is real. And so like, there was a one lady that was talking about an encounter that her, um, I think it was her brother had, and she was like, no, you know, people are like, yeah, that was just something you're, you're telling, you know, and she's like, no, it really happened, you know, like, that's the thing, because I have a friend, I've said this before on, I don't remember if I just said it on this show or whatnot, but I have a friend that swears up and down, he saw a werewolf one night too, and that's it, this is out here in Arizona, and he lives on the opposite side of a mountain where a reservation um, is on the other side, so, you know, they are really steeped in that lure and stuff, so I wouldn't doubt if he actually might have seen one, but uh, whether, you know, because we always joked and gave him crap about it, but the thing is, is that when he talks about it, he believes that what he saw was real, and that's what a lot of these uh, guests and interviewees on this film, you know, they, they believe that what they're telling you is the truth, whether, you know, whether we want to believe it or not, you know, what they saw really happened to them, and, and things, you know, really got to them, and uh, there was the one gentleman that telling a story about you know he had, he was out hunting and stuff and he came across one and scared the crap out of him um you know which was something i haven't heard although there is the like um what is it oysterman story or whatever about like bigfoots and stuff but that's i mean that's not you know dogman but it was the same type of thing where he goes out hunting and comes across one of these things but yeah the i just thought it was it was really great man the everything looked great um this the story progressed i wanted to we're going to have to get Seth on at some point to interview him because I wanted to ask him about how he sets up these films, how he goes, you know, in the chrono chronology of the film, you know, how he decides what stories to tell at what parts and things like that. But, I mean, this is a really solid watch and it informed me about, about a bunch of stuff that I don't didn't know about werewolves and stories that I haven't heard before. And like I said, I'm big on that stuff. Like I've read um, a couple of the uh, Linda Godfrey books on, you know, on accounts that people send her all the time because if uh, for those who don't know she's the big basically the dead mother of werewolves anybody that has any werewolf stories sends her stuff which is so i wanted to ask seth too i haven't been able to talk to him yet but i wanted to see what she thought of, of his documentary because i think this is just a fantastic documentary and definitely one of the best on werewolves i've ever seen i mean there's not a lot of them out there but th you know this is one of the top ones and the stuff he's doing over at small town monsters he's these documentaries he's putting together are stuff that, you know, we have little pieces here and there throughout all, you know, time all the way up until now. And he's, he's put compiling all of this information together and giving us a really solid, you know, watch and like, here, here's this. And what do you think, you know, type of stuff. But so I'm rambling on, rambling on a little bit here, but yeah, I just, I loved it. I thought it was a great film. 
very informative and creepy as hell scared the crap out of me um i went outside after i watched it and it was dark and i was like it kind of made me kind of you know leery of what if something might be lurking around somewhere hey hey monster yeah werewolves aren't real hey john though the people that say that they've seen it really think it is though Uh you know what a to you know what a topa is it's called peyote (laughs) (laughs) or ayahuasca uh, no, but you know what a tulpa is, right? When enough people believe in a certain object, that it's basically it comes to life. So who knows? Yeah. Who, who's to say if there aren't actually werewolf creatures out in the middle of yeah, anywhere? Uh, that yeah. was one of the things they're talking about. What was it called Bayou Sally Road, which is rumored to be haunted with tons of them. And they say that if you drive out there and stuff, they like to jump in front of cars or just stand in the middle of the road as you're driving down there. So there's been a ton of accidents and stuff. And then they they touched on uh, some of the I wanted to mention a couple of these. Um, they were talking about the Native American lore of them, and there's the Choctaw legend, and some of these things. Uh, what was it? The Stickany, which is like a witch that looks like a human during the day and turns into an undead owl beast at night. There was Kasha mm-hmm. Hopa. Yeah, the Kasha. Yeah, Kasha or something like that. <laughs> Some of these names are really hard to say, but that was a creature with cloven hooves and deer legs on a human body. So that was kind of weird. They touched on uh, Nalusa Falaya or something like that. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right, but a uh, shadowy, uh, tall, thin humanoid with pointed ears and a pointed snout. And then, um, yeah, you know, they talked is, about. Uh, this, oh, yeah, go is, this is the 1800s and 1700s version of Slender Man. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Pretty. Somebody got spooked. It, it took on a life of its own. Everybody gets creeped out by it. And and I love getting creeped out by stuff. But, yeah, I mean, you know, come on. I've talked to Seth before. I mean, you know, he, Seth did a documentary on the town that I grew up in. His first one was Minerva Monster. And I remember everything going on. And it was funny because I loved the documentary, and then I told him what was happening because everybody in town knew what was going on. And it weren't a Bigfoot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, I just thought, you know, the stuff says is doing over there is just fantastic. Oh, yeah, no, I love the documentary. You know, I, I, well, one of the things I'll watch this month is Chick Sun's mysterious monsters now there's everything in mysterious monsters has basically been disproven as as bogus and it's been discredited a lot of that stuff and i don't care right you know that's the same reason i watch those stupid reality i'm using quotes here terrible podcasting but like the reality ghost hunter shows man they ain't finding shit yeah we all know that it's bogus Zach Bacon gets possessed in every episode, so I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> it's, it's fun to watch. It's you know, I'm gonna, I probably entertain on the show. But here, here we go. Ready? I the, one of you will say, well, then why do you watch them if they think it all fake, dude? You know, Greedo ain't real, but I love Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, I just love hearing werewolf stories. Period. So yeah, I mean, yeah, no, no, something no. like this is you know, just really, it really takes off that checks off that box, you know watching something like this because it gives you 
every you know gives you the the creepy stories you haven't heard gives you the atmosphere gives you the cool looking uh werewolf you know costume stuff that he did Ooh. yeah he's really good with those i really love those dramatizations that he does yeah, they man. Do. It, and they're do, they're doing a great job i think i mentioned it in the ufo one i'm like you know i've heard all the stuff I, I i'm not really wasn't really interested in what they were saying because i knew everything but you know i pointed out back then like but their dramatizations and and their reenactments are getting really good well here we have a movie we're here with a documentary that had a bunch of cool information that has a bunch of stuff I didn't really know about already and hit it with the quality too. So for me, this is just, you know, this is top notch. This might be the best thing they've done so far. You know, and I, I have liked a lot of their stuff. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, cause we reviewed the, uh, the, the Mothman one he just did recently. And um, I thought that was one of the best I've ever seen, although it didn't give us any new information, but it covered basically the vast array of all the information that's available out there right now. But this one actually beats that because he does give us a lot of gives us a lot of the lore um also but like we said new stories new outlooks on you know rougarous and lichens and things like that so yeah i agree i i watching it i have to say i you know this is probably the best one i've seen him do so far and it's literally legitimately the only one i keep saying this that has given me the creeps when i watched it it creeped me out and not because I necessarily, because I believe werewolves are real, because I don't, obviously, I've never yeah. seen one. And, and unless I see it with my own two eyes, I'm not going to say it's real by any means. But what I'm saying is that people that think that they've seen one, they believe it. And that's what really intrigues me when we watch these type of films is just seeing how much the person believes of what they're actually, the story they're telling, how, you know, how, how much conviction they have of like, this really did happen, you know, and Seth is doing a great job because what he's doing now with all of these documentaries, not just this one, but any of the ones he's doing is, is he's really making people comfortable to come out and talk about uh, what they've seen and their encounters and things like that. And he's making it more okay for people to, to talk about these things and tell these stories now and not be ridiculed as much because, you know, over time, you know, for all the decades past, you know, that's the thing that, is, you know, well, people get made fun yeah. of. People get made fun of for telling their stories and stuff, I, I and that was one of the reasons I, why. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, because like you know, I've been reading Lauren Coleman stuff for like 25, 30 years, and he was getting all the stories, and and writing books, you know. And again, I I grew up I grew up in the 70s when there was a supposed Bigfoot running around Butt Crack, Ohio. And people weren't afraid to be like, yeah, no, uh, you know, and the, like there was an actual police officer that was investigating it and believed something was up. So, yeah, but a lot of people stay anonymous and stuff, and a lot of people don't want to, you know, yeah. they don't want to go on go on film and say because that's what I was gonna say. It's like when I did the interview with Seth in person about for the, on the trail of UFOs episode that I was in, and you know, it. It basically gave me a chance to tell a story I've been had in my mind for years. You know, something that happened to me for you know, a few decades and, you know, being able to actually tell it without being made fun of and, and to, you know, because it, it made me comfortable to be able to tell my story because, you know, it's something I never told to people because people will look at you and be like, yeah, right, dude, you're nuts, you know, but it's like, no, this thing really happened to me. And, and whether you believe it or not, like I said, I believe that it happened. I know that it happened. So for me, it's, it was real. So, you know, just to be able to be comfortable enough to, for him, that he has, he's such a, a nice you know, guy that he makes it really easy for you to talk to him and just get your story out there. So, 
And like I said, yeah, people have been coming out with stories for years and stuff, but I mean, film wise, this is the best. These, these are some of the best interviews oh, yeah. and new stories that we're getting. I mean, yeah. we've had, we have tons of documentaries of Dogman and, and werewolves and, and stuff like that, but this is the, this is the best one of anything I've ever seen. Um, and you know, in that line, the stuff he's doing is, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, He's making these brand new documentaries that nobody else has really compiled all this stuff together and made a, a definitive documentary about something like this. And he's actually doing these things for these different stories. My only problem with it is that I wonder when he's going to run out of stories to tell. Well, here, he's here's going about it three or four films a year. And it's like, man, at some point, well, uh, are you going to run out of content? Hold on, or, you know? hold on, though. I said this last time. I'm going to say it again. You know what I want him to do? I want him to get to Skinwalker Ranch out in your neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. Because he will do his due diligence and it will be entertaining as hell. And he could probably milk that for three or four because there's a lot of shit there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure if he did something like that, it'd probably be a series, you know? <laughs> yeah. That way he could get a good four or five hours in of, of content. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I mean, like I said, man, I, I love everything he does. And, and these, these documentaries he's given to us are, are, you know, real treats that people aren't going to appreciate till, till, you know, years down the road when they look back and go, wow, man, this guy really, you know, gave us everything. You know, he's given us Minerva monster, Bigfoot, um, you know, Flatwoods monster. I don't, I don't uh, think he's done ghosts yet, though. Has he really? I don't think so. No, he's done so, aliens though. So, I mean, yeah, you know, so but yeah. like, you know, there's stuff for him to get to yet. That's true. And yeah. The level of quality of what they do, the work they do. And again, I, I, I'm sorry to be a wet blanket, but I don't believe in any of this shit. <laughs> but I enjoy the hell out of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm. A, it's like uh, my brother always says. I want to believe, and I, I've adopted that saying in myself. It's like I want to believe that these things are real, but unless I can see them with my own two eyes, I believe what I can see. So yeah, if I, mean, I haven't seen it, then you know. You know how many hoops people have to jump through to convince, like, like Bigfoot's out there. Um. Yeah. So like, there's a bunch of people in Ohio that say they've seen a Bigfoot. Dude, I live in Ohio. I know the rednecks, gun-toting wackadoodles, who are all through them woods in hunting season. And Bigfoot's running around by 2021. One of these street tooth having <laughs> chawing, Bud Light drinking some bitches. Wrong turn. Shot it by now. Yeah, that, I mean, I agree. That's what I've. That's what I've said. There's no physical evidence of you know yeah. anything real. So until well, that happens. Honest. Even if you say they didn't get shot, man. Fucking animals got to poop. Well, there was that one show, uh, right? There was that one show, uh, Finding Bigfoot, uh, while, you know, they did a, a while back. And they offered like, a, uh, I think it was like a million dollar prize or whatever to somebody could prove that Bigfoot was real. And they had the one guy on there that uh, claimed up and down that he shot Bigfoot. But then he like covered the body and left. And then he went back later to go get the body and it was gone. It's like, um really guy come on man so if you would have shot a bigfoot you would have took it right away first thing because you'd be the only person ever in the history of the world to have an actual bit live you know or not i mean dead live whatever bigfoot you'd have cut a piece off of it at least you'd have had had proof exactly so yeah no anyways we're off track uh yeah uh, i like skinwalker how the ruguru i think it's fun i think it's a cool documentary and I think um, Small Town Monsters uh, hit it right out of the park. Yeah, I do. I recommend this. And, uh, 
yeah, go give it a watch. It's it was a really fun uh, watch, uh, super creepy. So, you know, if you have kids or something like that, be aware because they will freak them out. So, it's good. For with, right, right. All right, and with that, we're gonna take a break and we're gonna head into our uh, next segment here. And so we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back. Spirits of darkness, I command you to rise from your graves. I implore your release from eternal torment. Tonight's the night. Demons, arise. Arise. Halloween night. Look out, it's the midnight hour, baby. Devil is going on here. Lucinda brought a terrible curse on the town. The time is right. All the legendary demons of hell were loosed. And the spirits are restless. Everyone who dies this night will walk again. The ancient demons will rise tonight. And all who are touched by evil will become evil forever. To share their wrath. The dead are coming back to life, and some of the dead are out to kill. I don't like the sound of this. And claim their victims. Don't come another step closer! You can't beat us. Sherry Belafonte Harper, Kevin McCarthy, LeVar Burton, Midnight Hour. We have to end this. We gotta do it all by midnight. If they wait, there'll be nobody else around. Happy Halloween. For an interview with the monster and today we have with us a returning guest um, along with a, another special guest who will be discussing the phoenix fear con which we've had our first returning guest uh, well this is technically the show's second returning guest but chris's first time back with us so we have chris mclennan with us uh former guest how are you doing chris hey thanks for having me on appreciate you yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming back on. I really appreciate this and uh, excited to get into this interview here. So we also have Jay Michaels with us today. He's hosting the Phoenix FearCon this year. So how are you doing, Jay? I am doing fabulous. I'm thrilled to be on your program. I'm thrilled to be part of FearCon. How's everything with you guys? Good, good. Uh, really busy this time of year. So, uh, you know, heading into October. Duh. Yeah. So I got a lot of things I've, you know, a lot of uh, hats I'm turning at this time. But other than that, this is my favorite time of the year. So I'm excited for it. So. Same here. And oh, actually, yeah. This, um, this is our first, uh, well, I mean, this is our one year anniversary show. Um, we had a, a guest on before Chris last time. So she was our second guest. But this is actually our, our year anniversary show. So I'm pretty excited. And, um, wow. Yeah. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Anniversary to you. Yeah, yeah congratulations. A year in the entertainment industry is like 30 years anywhere else. So well done. So <laughs> right. true, so true. Oh, it's been uh, a heck of a we're journey. We're very lucky to be doing, we're very lucky that we've got 16 years down in FearCon. That's, we never thought we'd get past one year. Wow. And this is the 10th FearCon, is that correct? 
Mm-hmm. We started it in 2006, and we just it wasn't a yearly thing. It was like every couple of years we do one. Yeah. Um. So after, uh, so this is the tenth incarnation of Phoenix Sharecon. Awesome. So kind of a uh, milestone. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah. Sixteen years of doing that. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's a that's yeah. a long time, yeah. So um yeah. yeah, so I did I noticed Chris that you um had uh, left Sun Studios and now you're working with high octane pictures or multimedia is, is what you guys were saying now. Yeah, high octane pictures is rebranding themselves to because they've expanded their services to so many different things that now they've changed the company name to Octane Multimedia. But yeah, I left Sun Studios and. They are actually uh, one of my main sponsors of FearCon, and they just asked me to come and, uh, you know, one of their requests for this year is like, yeah, we'll sponsor you, and would you come work for us? I was like, uh, sure. So now I work for them, and it's a really, really nice company to be at. And they are really embedded in the entertainment industry with regards to filmmaking and film production and film distribution and post-production products and services so they're all they're all entrenched in this uh, in the movie industry and because of that they are the ones that are offering Phoenix Sheercon filmmakers the opportunity to get the winners films distributed globally oh well, that's awesome wow that, yeah that's a big deal and that's uh Something I'll, I'll touch on here in a little while uh, when we get to a, a lot of the Phoenix FearCon questions, but that that was something I wanted to talk about, being that the distribution aspect of it and all that, and, and that it's um, you know it's not just a, a FearCon that you guys actually have a um, film festival p- part of the FearCon. Right, it started out as a film festival, but I just wanted to just add other interactive products to it because just the film fans when they come out they really they appreciate the movies because it's movies that they've never seen before because it's all independent but at the same time uh, I don't want them to just feel like they're coming there just to watch movies I want to have other things going on so it evolved into a convention atmosphere but we still have the same basic motivation behind the event and that is to get the filmmakers noticed so you are She's the... being too humble guys she's being too <laughs> humble What they do here is so impressive. Number one, they give such opportunities to these emerging filmmakers. It's eye-opening. I've been to so many of these. I've hosted many different ones. I've I've produced several film festivals. And I got to tell you, this one really cares about its filmmakers. They really give them opportunities. Even the guests that they have are these, these are people that, that are going to give them education as well as, 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 as fun, you know, okay. It's, Yes, you can go over there and you'd ask them, okay, what was it like to get your head cut off in this movie? But but they're also going to tell you what it means to get into these films, how to how to build a character, the distribution aspect. We have so many young filmmakers who are now in distribution that they're going to share their knowledge with them. This is like a, a this is like a, a college course that you're going to. So I am so impressed with Phoenix Fear Cup. Thank yeah. you. That's such a that's a, such you you describe it much better than I do. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I totally, totally agree. That's one of the things I loved about it, um, you know, when I attended is, you know, and, and of course, last year uh, virtually. But, yeah, it's it, it's so much more than just a film festival or, or a con in itself. There's so many things that you can learn, uh, you know, just from going and attending. So I, I really enjoy it. It's a 
a hell of a con. Well, thank you. What are the what are the types of job duties that you have now? That uh, are there, is there anything different from the job at Sun Studios, or you know, between that? And, um, you know, when you well, have... I become the I come in here, and it was to help them with the business development because they're expanding their entire company to include not only the distribution and post-production services of film, now they're getting involved in actual film production. So they made me vice president of studio operations because right now we're building a complete film production studios here with like a a huge, like a green screen that's going to have the virtual 3D environment by aximetry, which is the same thing that they used when they made The Mandalorian. You know, there's two guys standing in a garage essentially and and the whole environment was virtually built around them and so we're building the same kind of sound stage here along with some other uh, editing bays and a few other things that we're going to offer them not only for our own purposes of film production but we're also going to offer it to uh, consumers to other production companies so can you uh tell us a little bit about what high octane actually is and what they do i mean you've touched a little bit on it already but well, they, they are pretty, they started out as a sales agency and then they went into distribution and then they went into post-production services. They've got about 400 films in their catalog and they distribute worldwide. So they'll, they'll license uh, films for, for, uh, for uh, to be viewed on an assortment of platforms. I mean, just any platform you can think of, like Tubi and Hulu and Netflix, Amazon and Disney Plus, all of those. They have relationships with pretty much every single platform globally because, you know, a lot of those platforms are only available like in their countries. So like, yes, you have Amazon here, but Amazon out in the UK is different. So they have relationships with all of the platforms worldwide and any company that they license their films gets the opportunity to be placed on these platforms worldwide and create a revenue stream for the filmmakers that's uh, incredible. Yeah, um, and that's basically the, what they do. Yeah, some of the films I've seen at Trafircon are amazing. So I mean, this is a really great opportunity for some of these, uh, in, you know, these indie filmmakers. Absolutely, and we got this year over 160 submissions that we had to whittle down to four feature films and like 30 shorts. And it was really, really hard because a lot of the ones that came in this year were very well done, very solid, and it was hard for us to make a decision. Uh, you know, which ones are we going to show this year? But these filmmakers, you know, we have to make sure that everyone understands how much work goes into making a movie, how much blood, sweat, and tears and every dime that they own and every dime of their families and friends to make their their vision. And we just wanted to get, we just wanted to get noticed. Yeah, I, I saw that um, High Octane Pictures is also not just sponsoring Phoenix Fearcon, but they're also sponsoring a night of misfit films uh, that is run by Danita Williams Trigg, a former guest and, you know, one of the panelists that you have at, at the Fearcon. Yeah, we're, we're sponsoring a night of misfit films. It's going to be held here at our offices in Scottsdale. And we're also sponsoring her other film festival that she's doing in Paris, um, Fantasy Film Festival in Paris. Her and Gautier do this film festival and it's a fantasy and science fiction film festival in paris so we're going to be part of that as well awesome it's going international i mean uh, i mean you already are yeah. but, <laughs> but um, we're now we're sponsoring international festivals yeah we just want to get involved in all of them because that's an opportunity not only for them to have someone sponsor them but for us 
who are always looking for new films to license for our platforms. We just are constantly looking for content. And the best way to do that is to get involved with film festivals. Yeah, and I, I was going through a little bit of your um, film catalog at High Octane, and there is a ton of stuff in there. So, I mean, there's, yeah. you know, a lot of good film to watch. And we're also watch. getting involved with, like, other things. We just, we, we are, we're, like, uh, looking at, there's this event happening next weekend that Jim and I are going to that we contacted them, the Jurassic Fight Night, and I was just like, I'm so in love with that event, with these dinosaurs wrestling. Awesome. <laughs> We just like we talked to them and we're like, you know, we'd really like to get involved with you because we think that you're missing the point on how much of a of an opportunity you have to get this blown up worldwide, you know. And it's just yeah. we'd like to get involved in that. So we're just like looking at a lot, a lot of other opportunities just to get involved with not only filmmakers and film production companies, but with community companies that would like to get the word out past the community. I mean, we've already talked a little bit about it, obviously, as well. But can you tell us um, basically what the FearCon is and what you guys actually offer? Because there's so many different as- uh, things, you know, there's so many different bands and, and film festival part and special guests and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So can, can we, you... Uh, we try to make it, yeah, film, we started it out as a film festival, but then we decided to make it more interactive. So, and and Jay can attest to that this year we're adding not just performers and panel discussions and workshops and and celebrity appearances and all of that, but this year we've also added a theatrical portion of that. Jay, you want to chat about that, about the, uh, adding theater to, to the film? Gladly. The, the world has changed immensely, and, and the concept of the film festival has changed, and even the concept of the convention has changed. When I was first dealing with horror movies a very long time ago, uh, there was just <laughs> So many studios, so many celebrities, and that that was it. So if you didn't have Peter Cushing or Boris Karloff at your event, that was it. But nowadays there are so many levels of celebrities. So so like I said before, we have we have emerging artists who are going to talk about their films that are now becoming quite famous. Last year, for instance, we had the cast of Followed, which became the number one movie in the country during pandemic, and it was mm-hmm. a horror film. And we have so many of those this year. And what Chris is alluding to is we have Bill Oberst Jr., who's one of the leading names of the genre right now. And he did a one-man show based on a Ray Bradbury piece. And he's bringing a performance to FearCon. We have all levels of multimedia, just like Octane. We have all levels of multimedia here. And to have a stage show there at this convention, it, it opens up the audience's mind to the notion of of the theater itself, of live theater, as well as as film, to have a film actor doing it. And it's really a brilliant, compelling piece. And he's doing it all over the country. So it's quite a rare opportunity to be able to, to be here and see him do it. And then on top of everything else, we also have, because I like to get involved in the community and make sure that everyone in the community is involved with us, we partner up with different aspects of horror in the community. So we partnered up with the Sanctum of Horror and we partnered up with the Miscreation Traveling Haunted Show. And they're giving us like free tickets to their events and things like that. And we also just uh, this week partnered up with Desert Stages of Phoenix. Again, another theater to add theater. I mean, theater this year has added horror genre, which is ridiculously amazing. So the Desert Stages Theater in Phoenix is doing their musical version of Carrie, which is the Stephen King 
movie. <laughs> and That's great. so they wanted to get involved with us. So they're giving us tickets to their uh, to give away for Carrie, but they're also uh, like just, you know, helping us to promote our event. We're going to help to promote their event as well. It's it's very funny you're talking about theater and horror. The the forerunner of all horror movies was a horror theater in Paris called Théâtre du Grand Guignol. We still use mm-hmm. the term Grand Guignol now, and it basically means a gory horror movie. Sure. And the French theater of horror, ironically, it ran until 1962 when a British film company decided to do the same sort of thing they did, and Hammer Films was born. So so everything we see, and they also, they use these amazing special effects on stage. And so when you watch a slasher film, they took their ideas from this French theater of horror, which was around in the late 1800s. So by going back to putting theater and and horror together, you're, it, it's, I, I hate to say it's not innovative, it's historic. It's, it's been around for centuries. So it's really, it's really a powerful thing that, uh, that we're doing and that they're doing. Jay, I understand that uh, you have worked a lot on and off Broadway. Is that correct? Yes. When the check clears, yes. <laughs> is is that one of the inspirations for bringing uh, the theater stuff to the FearCon? For me, it's sort of like um, it's like it's like the universe of Doctor Who. Time doesn't seem to go linear for me. I started as an uh, addicted to horror films. Uh, all I wanted to be as a kid was to be in horror films. As I grew older, everyone said, no, you don't want to do that. You want to do this. And so I ended up doing Shakespeare, a great deal of Shakespeare. No, you don't want to do just that. You want to do this. And then I worked off Broadway. Well, you want to do this. And then I, I worked with production companies on Broadway. And then you want to do that. And then I did touring companies. And, and I ended up being immersed in the theater. But I've always loved the macabre. And anytime I could do a macabre play, I would. And then a few years ago, uh, and this is where I met Chris, I was invited to be the host of Terror Talk on Terror TV over at Sun Studios. That was so fun. Oh, I had a blast with that. And I got to meet Reggie Bannister from Phantasm and Sarah Karloff and Lynn Lagosi and so many other people. And it it, it brought back that 12-year-old in me. And and now with my with my not twelve head, uh, I can see that there is there is so many opportunities to combine all the worlds I've been in. So yes, I I've worked the theater a great deal. I've done film and independent film a great deal, and I'm thrilled to say I'm bringing both those worlds in and and working with the genre community with the horror film community uh, this way. I've been with Boston Sci-Fi. I've been with the Phantasm Convention. This is my second year with FearCon. And and I'm having an absolute blast. And forget about all these people that tell you what lotions make you young. No, do what you did when you were 12, and that's going to keep you young. And it never feels like work when when you're doing it that way. Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. Mm-hmm. I've I've been on the phone day and night, uh, figuring schedules with the with the with our guests. I've been interviewing them because it's going to be on FearCon TV, which is going to be part of their website. Um, and and it's it's not work. When the day's over, I thought I didn't do anything because this was far too much fun to call it work. So safe to say this is what you were this is what you've always wanted to do, to do essentially. Completely. Completely. I've had little opportunities. I did uh, I did a, a science fiction movie called Norman Normal where I played a bug at one point which was wonderful. 
my wife is a special effects artist, so she sat there and put banana and latex and feelers on my face. It was wonderful. And then I did a, <laughs> a play at one point called The Monster Sitting Next to Me, and I played a vampire taking the subway home. And it, these were great opportunities. And when they were done, I always said, no, no, more, 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 more. So when, when Chris presented me with the opportunity of immersing myself in FearCon, well, there, there was there was no saying no to that. Yeah, he dove in head first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's come up for air yet. Not at uh, all. And it's just, uh, I, 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 I swear I, I to God, he that. has evolved FearCon. He has helped evolve FearCon to such a level that I just, I can't even imagine FearCon being any different. And if he was not involved in it, I think that we would be a much lesser event than what we are now. Well, I'm not going away, so you don't have to worry about that ever. That's good. That's good. If not, I'll have to duct tape you. (laughs) (laughs) Jay, you're a professor of media culture at two two universities. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, Sure. Um, That was another thing I did as a goof. I worked for many years. My my day job, as, as the expression goes, was working in marketing and public relations and I now have my own marketing firm, my own PR and marketing firm in New York. At one point during a lull in activity, when I was first starting the organization, a colleague of my wife said, you know, we have an opening here at Kingsborough College in Brooklyn. Would you like to teach communications and would you like to teach theater? And I thought, well, that's a goof. I'll do that for a semester. Well, now, 20 years later, uh, I have my master's in communications. I, as of today, I'm sitting on the board of Pace University's strategic leadership advisory. I am part of Kingsborough College's theater, communications, and media studies program. I've been at the College of Staten Island. I'm at DeVry Keller University. I'm having an absolute blast, and it's really nice when people call you sir and professor and all other good things like that. And and the joy is I can combine that as, as I've worked with, and I'm so thrilled to say there is legion of them, horror scholars. There are people who delve into the horror movies and the horror literature the way I do and find the correlations between ancient cultures, between mythology, between current events. It's amazing when you look at Nosferatu, the very first film version of Dracula. Uh, It was filmed a short while after their pandemic. So to see sequences where they're associating the vampire with rats and disease and they're covering their mouths so that they don't get sick and they're locking themselves into their home has a really chilling feeling now as we're doing the same thing. Um, We even have, and and show you Chris's foresight, she's talking about these places we're teamed with in in a a naturally occurring way. We're teamed with the University of Arizona because Britt Ruhart, a professor there, and I are going to do uh, lectures about the history of horror as it correlates to uh, actual history, to mythology and things of that nature. And there are legions of horror scholars that are, are thro- thrilled to talk about these things. And, and it's funny, I've, I've found a home with them also, being, being part of them and, and talking to them. You, you, you feel kind of weird sometimes. You feel like the weird kid when, when you say, oh, these horror movies, you know, they're based on Greek mythology. And if you look at this and then Shakespeare did, and people look at you like you have three heads, pardon the pun. And, and to know that there are so many scholars out there who are doing the same thing, it's it's humbling, it's joyous, and it's alleviating at the same time. We appreciate what you scholars are doing because um, us, us foreigners <laughs> love that type of stuff. We, we can't get enough of that as well. Can you tell me a little bit about the boutique uh, communications and promotions firm in New York City that you own that you were just talking sure. about? Sure. It's, 
uh, it's called it's J. Michael's Communications is is the corporate name, but it's Channel I. I have a YouTube channel called JMC Channel I. And uh, for years, I worked with the larger organizations. I, I, I worked on production teams on Broadway and I've worked with uh, studio films. And I, I've gathered an immense amount of knowledge. And, and when I was working as an actor and a director uh, a million and a half years ago, there were so, so many things I had to suffer through because I didn't know how to get a film distributed. I didn't know how to get a play seen by agents. I didn't know how to get the proper crew. Now that I do, because I've worked with these people in, in this chapter of my life, I started a PR firm that deals only in independent theater and film artists, their particular work. So I, I go for the small or mid-budget plays, and I go for the small and mid-budget films. And, and my job is to create exposure. I, I know the tricks of the trade now, how to get the newspapers to look at them, to get, to, uh, to get certain uh, industry people to pay attention to it in some way or another. And I know social media, I shouldn't because I'm an old fogey, we're not supposed to, but nonetheless, I know social media enough that I help them get seen because so many of these brilliant productions open, run and close and disappear. And even independent films, they just go off in the distance somewhere and, and you don't hear of them again. And That's my job true. is, oh yeah. And, and, and my job now uh, with this firm is to make sure they are seen. And, and I've, I've, I've commandeered YouTube and I do interviews on there. I have, uh, I think about 200 interviews now with independent playwrights, screenwriters, filmmakers, theater artists of all kind, and give them an opportunity to speak. Because again, I hate to say it, we're, we're looking for the big money things. So no one wants to listen to them. I do. And I make sure they're heard. And my, my, my greatest thrill sometimes is when they call me a day, a month, a year later and say, guess what? My film is in movie theaters or I'm not, my, uh, an agent picked up my play or something. And I know I did my job. I know someone else has been seen. So, so that's, that's, that's where I focused my, my PR business. It's paying off like greatly. Extension. You're like the total extension of FearCon. If FearCon gets them noticed and you get them not forgotten. There you go. I, I even do that with several of the FearCon films. I will interview the emerging filmmakers. I will talk to them about 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 getting their films seen and what they have to do. There was a movie. It wasn't in FearCon, but it was in another film festival called uh, Body Farm, which uh, which is on the the Terror TV station over at Sun Studios. And they called me and they said, "What can we do?" Well, long story short, they're now reviewed. They're now on Amazon, and they have now announced a sequel. So, so they're doing okay. And, and I think this is where the real great artists are. If, if we take that one second and, and ask ourselves, where was Steven Spielberg before he was Steven Spielberg? You get these people. And we, we need to be the people that, that, that help them. We need to pay it forward, as the expression goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and that's what we hope. I mean, we're always looking for diamonds in the rough. And yep. when we see them, we want to make sure everyone knows about it and everyone gets to see it. And that's why we offer the winners a, a distribution package to get them to get them noticed worldwide. We, because that needs to happen. They need to understand that all of their hard work was not for nothing. And it's just so many films that come out that get released that shouldn't, you know, should be out there and should be seen by more people. And sure. that's what we hope for with our filmmakers because we know how hard they work. We know that they have a vision, and we know that um, they don't think of anything beyond the creation of their product, then they, they, their thinking just stops. 
They don't realize yeah. that there's so much more beyond the making of their product that they, they people need to see it. People need to know about it. People need to hear about it. And that's where these film festivals come in. And that's where Jay it makes a huge contribution to their to their evolution. I, I give Chris a lot of credit because the films that, that she and her other judges choose are not just wow, look at that, everyone's naked and they're being cut in half. What a great movie. No, uh, what, what she does, she finds these, these, yeah. these parables within them. I watched several of them from last year, and it was really amazing the depth of their stories, the, the allegories that they have within them. Uh, these messages need to be seen. So, so it's great that we have an opportunity to, to, to show them, to, to give them light. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I made this podcast is to do the exact same thing is to just basically get all these independent, you know, um, people in the horror genre, be it filmmakers or writers or authors or whoever it is, you know, basically give them more notification. That's kind of what my little rinky dink podcast is here for, you know, Um, I mean, because I I recently made my own short film and I'm in uh, process right now of uh, post-production of editing it and all that. But I mean, just from doing the little short film I did, you know, it's it's such a struggle to make films, period, you know. And so for some of these people that are really independent, I mean, it's the best thing is for them to get as many eyes and ears, you know, on on their content as possible. So, uh, you know, what you guys are doing is is amazing. And I'm, you know, I'm always it excited every every time i hear it's you know fear cons coming around so um you know <laughs> oh that's good we're happy that and we're happy that everyone who loves it continues to love it and it's fine for us because we have fans that date back 16 years people that have been to the very 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 first fear con we ever had back at the paper heart art gallery that was 16 years <laughs> ago unbelievable and they were like yeah i was at the first one and i've been to everyone ever since and and those are the people that are like the diehards that appreciate the the fact that we are evolving and turning into something that is in not it is not exclusive of other opportunities to different in different genres. So we now we're like filmmaking and panel discussions and workshops and and now theater. So it's like we just keep moving forward is the way we we like to look at it. Beercon yeah. has always been ahead of the curve. Uh, it, it blew my mind. I think it was 2017 or 18. I'm not sure when the Academy Award for best picture went to the shape of water, which yeah. if you look at it is simply the creature from the black lagoon, but he gets mm-hmm. the girl. Yeah. And, and I think people that, and, and what Jordan Peele is doing and so many others, we're finally seeing that the horror genre is a very intelligent, very powerful genre. And I'm thrilled to be part of it, especially at this moment in time. Yeah. It's really striving right now. I mean, things are starting to pick up. I mean, you know, we're dealing with COVID still the fallout of COVID and, and the new, Delta variant and all that good stuff, but I mean, it's horrors starting to really take off, you know, that from what I've seen o- over the last couple of years. So I mean, it's really nice to see that, you know, see it growing and everything. So, I read an article recently. It, it made me laugh slightly. Um, it uh, it said that horror movie lovers can deal with the pandemic better than most people because their brains are already in tune to zombie apocalypses and uh, and marauding vampires and and being chased by werewolves and whatever. So, so to lock their doors and stop a pandemic just seems like another movie to them. I, yeah. they, they were being humorous in there, but it made me go, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, it's like, I didn't do it. I didn't change anything. You know, I mean, nothing's really changed for me. I'm still doing my horror stuff. So, I mean, you know, I get that. I get that. 
So you were talking a little bit about the terror talk. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and in the passion? Sure. The passion pit is still going on and terror talk uh, has evolved. Uh, in the passion pit is my video podcast. And before that, it was my own podcast where that's where I started interviewing independent theater and film artists of all genres. It started as a podcast. And then, then when I figured out YouTube, it became a video interview. And that's where I have uh, on Channel I, it, it eventually evolved into Channel I, where I have what is now over 200 interviews. My podcast in the Passion Pit is still, is still accessible, and they're all via, via Channel I as well. Terror Talk was great. The funny story behind that, my friend when I was 12, Joel Eisenberg, who now is a, is, a, is a film producer and screenwriter, he called me out of the blue after 40 years of us not speaking. He had to find, he had to get, I'm not kidding. He got a private detective to find where I was. And he, and, and our friendship rekindled and we were having a great time chatting on the phone. And then one day he says, hey, let me ask you, would you like to host a series? And, and I thought, wow, what am I been smoking? He, and I said, please repeat that. And he said, would you like to host a series on horror movies? And sure enough, Terror Talk was part of Terror TV, which Sun Studios was at that point creating. And it was going to be the, the uh, original content for their station, for Terror TV. So it was a series of three interviews that were absolutely hilarious. I spoke to John Skip, the well-known horror author. I've spoken to Anthony Ferrante of the Sharknado franchise. I've spoken to Gigi and Reggie Bannister, Owl Going Back, who will be at FearCon this year. So will mm -hmm. Reggie. And we actually have an award named after him, the Reggie, which mm -hmm. honors independent uh, film artists. I've spoken to Lynn Lagosi and Sarah Karloff, which for me was a dream. Okay. I couldn't get to see their illustrious fathers and grandfathers, but, but to meet them and to hear stories about them was incredible. And it was your customary talk show, but we talked about horror films and the horror genre as it correlates to today. And so it just, it just fed my desire to learn, to learn uh, the, the depths of these. And, and there, the, the only thing keeping that entire building alive was this one woman who seemed to run everything with a smile on her face, Chris McLennan. Uh, and, and I thought you were going to say Caroline Williams. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, but, uh, and, and every time there was something, every time there was some need, some whatever, I'd hear a voice go, oh, yeah, I got it. And then it was done. So I got to meet Chris on that and, and the rest is history, as they say. But it was this amazing experience. It really lit a fire under me. And I started a program on Channel I. Now it's called Nocturnes. And I basically do the same thing. I will find horror genre individuals and I will interview them. I've interviewed uh, David Howard Thornton who is Art the Clown from Terrifier. I've interviewed Marcus Slabine, whose film The Dark Offerings, which is premiering at FearCon. It is the first film shot in pandemic, the first horror film shot in pandemic, using social distancing rules. So it's fascinating to watch on that level. I've, I've met so many people. I just recently met Fred Williamson, who we know as The Hammer, and he yeah. was in From Dusk Till Dawn. He was an absolute hoot, and, and to learn from him, was incredible because he's a marketing genius, whether he knows it or not. And I met Bill Oberst Jr. And Bill Oberst Jr. is a brilliant actor. And when he talks about acting itself, uh, there is no better masterclass than you can get than, than chatting with him. The, the list of individuals I've spoken to 
goes on and on. And, and I'm going to continue doing that. Yes, uh, it, it's great to do that and have a program of it. But for me, it's like I've never left school now because each one of them teaches me so much about the industry, about the yeah. art of it. it. It's really quite brilliant. It's really quite brilliant. Yeah, that's always the best is, is being able to just learn from the from the people that, you know, are are really deep into into the genre. I get a kick out of it. I talk to a lot of directors and stuff, especially making my own short film recently. I've got a few um, pretty big name indie directors that have been helping me out behind the scenes and stuff. So it's cool to just to learn these things. You know, like you said, it's, I feel like I'm in school almost almost every day, you know, so. And I, I, Dude, I love you passed my test. You you produced your own film. Oh, man. OK, that's it. You climbed the mountain. Oh, I, I, I wrote it, produced it, and shot it, and direct, you know, directed it. So I mean, <laughs> and, and I was one of the and actors. You live to so tell we'll about it. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be busy putting it together, and then I'll I'll ship it out to some festivals and see if I can get into something. But uh, hopefully it's it's worthy enough. We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> and then you're gonna send me all the information so I could spread the word about it, right? Yeah. You're gonna oh, send you me all the info. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I, I was hoping to get it done in time to be able to submit this year to the the FearCon, but I, you know, I wasn't able to have so much more stuff going on recently. So, you know, hopefully next year the the film will be ready to be submitted. So we'll see what happens. But I did want to ask you, Jay, about. Um, so I saw that you have a book, "The Monsters Are Us: Sociopolitical Cautionary Tales About Tales That Are Hidden in Horror Movies." Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, that's that's basically what I was talking about in terms of finding the depth in horror movies. It uh, I I immerse myself in watching them, and I, I whenever I can I watch a new one or I watch an old one that I haven't seen in a long while. And uh, with with my with my older brain, I work I watch these movies and I say, wow, you know that that looks like, and wow, what are they saying with that line? And it it occurred to me that even in the tiniest of movies, even in the lowest of budget, even in 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 the bad ones, for lack of better term. There, there are parables in there that I'm not even sure the filmmaker realizes that, that they're talking about something that has happened in the world at that point. Like I said about Nosferatu, I don't think they consciously did a parable about the, the, the plague that they just had, but there it was right in front of us. The sexual overtones of Hammer Films, the, they even did, uh, Hammer Films did uh, one particular film, The Brides of Dracula. Which, which, when you delve into it, is Freudian. Is uh, it's it, it's so deep in terms of its meanings. Freddy Krueger, for instance, the character of Freddy Krueger. We think it's uh, Robert England is just being funny. Uh, the depth of what he is able to do with that character, we 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 forget that's a child molester. He is mm. playing a ghoulish child molester, yeah. and mm. and the the parable of of how he is able to woo people into his world with his humor is not lost on me. Mm -mm. When you think about a movie like Sleepaway Camp, now Sleepaway Camp to the LGBTQ community is, is a powerful moment because the beginning of it, the, the children, the children left in the care of their aunt, they were with a gay couple. And then what happens to one of them, I'm not going to, for the, for the two people who yet haven't seen Sleepaway Camp, I'm not going to reveal the ending. But (laughs) again, if you analyze it from today's standards, it's oh, so they never released that film. They never release that film now. No, no. Or no. they would change it so much that it would just not mm-hmm. work. Uh, no, so, would, yeah. so what I've done, um, each time I, I see one of these movies, I take notes and I say to myself, OK, what's in there? And then I'll research it and research it again. And I'll look at the the authors who did it. I'll look at um, what they were thinking. Uh, I'm actually going to be at Queensborough College giving a symposium on Mask of the Red Death 
because wow. of its ramifications today, not so much to the plague, but how people are ignoring the um, COVID and, and the protests and all of that. And that's deeply rooted in that film. But I took notes on all of these movies and I'm, I'm basically putting together, uh, it may end up being a book series, but uh, at, least, at least a major volume on when you watch a horror movie, here's what to look for. And, you, and, and here, here's what they're trying to tell you via the monsters. I always, I always bring this up. Rod Serling, Rod Serling was infuriated with the networks because they always edited his work. He was very daring in things like Judgment at Nuremberg and Requiem for a Heavyweight. And he was, he was so daring in his plot lines, but they always edited it because they thought the public didn't want this drama. So much so when he did Judgment at Nuremberg, they actually edited out a line because his sponsor had convection ovens. And they were afraid that talking about the ovens of Nazi Germany would m- confuse them with the convection ovens of their sponsor. He was so furious, he, he made a comment. He said, they wouldn't do this if they were ghosts and robots. And that suddenly spawned on him the notion, how about we do all these tales of morality? We do all these tales of racism, of paranoia, of drug addiction, of, of family values. But the family is a family of ghosts. It's a robot who falls in love. It's a devil doll, not an actual child. He suddenly turned it into the Twilight Zone. So the morality tales in the Twilight Zone uh, are, are thick with these stories. And people know that now and they appreciate them now, but they don't realize how much is in even the tiniest of horror movies. They don't realize the math that the horror movie is giving us. And, and I'm, I'm having a grand time writing all of this down. My misery is going to be, okay, now I got to edit this. I can't put in every movie that I've seen. So, so now, I'm, now I'm up to the point of saying, which, which horror movies are we going to talk about? But I'm hoping this eventually becomes a scholastic piece that uh, that film that film classes and film study groups can look at this and say, okay, I want to do a horror movie. But if I do, what do I need to do? And then find something within it. You look at Bruce Campbell. You look at at uh, so many of 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 those that we consider comedic in in the genre, and you really see what they're trying to say with it. Just by the fact he's a grocery clerk, gives us the same notion that we get from. Uh, from Reggie Bannister, you know, it's the regular guy that can stop the demons. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not the, 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 the millionaire, it's the regular guy. And when you look right. at it, it's, biblically, no longer, it's no longer a superhero. It's like, now it's right. just people can relate to that person because they are them. That's right. And if you look at, if you look at it from a biblical standpoint, are there any millionaires that, that are lauded in the scriptures? No, it's, it's the carpenters, it's the slaves, it's, the workers, it's, it's the common individual that, that changes the entire world. And so the horror movie, uh, you could even see biblical, you could each, even see ancient Greek. You see so many different things in there. And Shakespeare, oh my God, Shakespeare, uh, every show had a ghost. Every movie had a, a movie, there I go. Every play had a ghost, had a demon, had a curse somewhere. So you really see this deeply in our literature and, and in our life. And that's what my book is notating. Yeah, and you know, being a, I, I'm I'm a big advocate of monsters. You know, being this is the in the mouth of monster podcast. Yeah, I, I can't wait to read that. That sounds like a blast. So I always look for stuff like that, anything monster related. So, so how did you end up becoming a host of the FearCon? I, I mean, obviously, I see why Chris McLennan picked you, but um, can you give us a little bit about how how that came about? It's all her, her, her. I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, at the end of 
one of uh, at the actually I think it was probably the FearCon before last year's before FearCon nine. It must have been FearCon eight. At the end, well, of we were talking the, about it at Terror Talk. Remember, we that's had exactly right. We had the first Terror Talk, and we had Anthony Ferrante and Caroline Williams and John Skip were there, and they all got in front of the step and repeat wall, all of them, and they each of them did a thirty-second pitch for the FearCon, and you and I were standing there with them while they were doing these pitches for FearCon, and that's when I told you the next time we do FearCon, you should really get involved. That's exactly um, right. That's exactly and then we right. talked after that, yeah, and then we we solidified it after that. But I suggested it to you when we were doing Terror Talk. Yep, that, I I remember it was it was you, you were about to do FearCon at that point. That's why I think it was FearCon eight, and you had said mm-hmm. I'd love you to come and host it, but but schedules didn't work out or whatever, and right. and and I was bummed, frankly. I I wanted to desperately, and so when when FearCon nine came around, shouldn't have to ask the question. Yes, when FearCon ten <laughs> yes. came around, shouldn't have to ask the question. Yes. She's yeah. going to ask me for FearCon 11. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we actually work really, really well together. He is like the, the, the yin to my yang. He, he knows exactly <laughs> what the things that we need to add. And he, I don't have to say anything other than, what do you think of this? And he'll like, I'm on it. So when he says that that was me during Terror Talk, this is him during FearCon. You are most kind. No, it's, I, I am most serious. <laughs> all right so uh let's get into a little talk about the fear con since we're heading that way um so can you tell us uh about some of the people you have um you know um attending and stuff uh the bands um any bands you have performing any special panels uh guest speakers that sure. stuff. sure we've got uh three bands performing this year uh, t- uh co-op which is the son of alice cooper dash Cooper is that's his band and then we've got Scott Rose Red Rum who are I think they were like an Alice Cooper tribute but they've also added some original music to that and then the other band is Porso it's like a deeply heavy metal uh, amazing musical setup and they they are working with Red Rum and a few other bands that they usually perform at like uh uh, the Marquis Theater and the Nile Theater and things like that. And we're very, very lucky to have them come to FearCon. And then, of course, our celebrities that are going to be there, we've got like Reggie Bannister, Fred Williamson is coming. We've got all these horror authors that just, I couldn't believe how many decided to, to just show up. And so we've got a whole barrage of horror authors coming. Uh, Terry you have Alexander. Owl going back, John Skip, Roland Jouette. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vincent Vinacava. Yep, indeed. And, and then the filmmakers are Marcus Levine and Elizabeth Piper Schlitt. And, um, and then they're going to be um, premiering their movie, uh, Dark Offerings. And then we've got Anita Williams Trigg and Tommy Amal going to be doing their panel discussions that they always do. And uh, Craig Chenery is going to be there. He's, been, he's got a whole bunch of really cool books, series called God Just Wanted to Play Golf and, and sequels. <laughs> So he's going to be there as well. Terry Alexander is going to be there. He was in Day of the Dead. Yeah. Uh, Bill Obers Jr., of course, is going to be there. We've got you have Michael Levy, who is one of the producers of Ter- of uh, Terrifier. Yes, so, uh, Michael uh, Levy is going to be there. Yeah, and then we've got the cosplayers, the Tinker Cosplay, are going to be there. We've got the Umbrella Corporation is going to set up there. The Department of Zombie Defense is going to set up there. And then the UZA setting up like kind of like a mini haunt out in the 
in the parking lot. And we are having the zombie bar upstairs that's going to serve the drinks and blood bags. We've got our charity uh, this year. We've finally developed our 501c3 charity, the FearCon Foundation, which we all the money that we're raising is going to go help uh, families with resources for education, for housing, and then also to help families who are uh, dealing with a medical catastrophe and help them with their medical bills. So all the money that we're raising, the profits are going to go to the FearCon Foundation to help them. I told you they're unique. They even have a not-for-profit corporation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't mess around. And you're going to have uh, Uncle Lloyd Kaufman there, is that correct? We Lloyd. are saying yes at the moment until Lloyd tells us otherwise. But right now we are hearing that he's not feeling that well, so he may oh. not come. But until we get a solid confirmation, we're just going to say, yeah, he's coming. But we everything with, with these older guests is always tentative on their health. So oh, yeah. uh, right he now, may not come. We have a plan B in effect if uh, if situations arise and, and Lloyd can't make it. He's going to be there via Zoom. We're going to basically simulcast him so the audience mm-hmm. can still say hello and ask questions and whatever. He's just, you know, live from New York. Yeah, yeah. So we, we will do our best to make sure that he's there. But actually, sure. but I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to uh, risk his health if he feels that he needs to not come to keep himself safe. So. Yeah, definitely. Health, you know, health is always number one priority. So especially right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to say, too, I, I uh, met Fred Williamson the last FearCon I attended, which was uh, 2019. Um, but he, he is a that guy's just a, a an absolute, um, you know, uh, gem of a man. He, he's he was he was amazing and offered me a free picture with him and stuff. And I, I just yeah, I adore that guy. He's, you know, the hammer. And most people know him from from dust till dawn, like we, like you mentioned. But, yeah, he's just a, a great guest and just absolute blast and fun guy. Him and um, Ken Forhey were having fun uh, talking back and forth. I got to watch a little bit of that. Of that so I thought that was really great. Um, oh, yeah. So that was actually, the panel discussion that they did with Danita. Yeah. Yeah, it was great yeah. just to see the two of them banter back and forth. It was just amazing. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting with Fred. He mentioned to me, and I didn't even realize this. He was for three seasons. He was on the Julia show on TV, which yeah, was a groundbreaking African American sitcom, mm-hmm. and and so he was part of television history. And and he just says it like you know some of us say, yeah, I went to the store. Uh, yeah. He's he's really quite the guy. Yeah, yeah. He, he's very modest. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the film festival part? I mean, I know we talked a little bit about that too, but um, how, you know, can you uh, tell people about some of the films you have playing and how you go about um, judging them and stuff? Well, we get film submissions all year long, and we watch them all the way through. Every single submission we've gotten, we watch. Um, our feet, and we got, as I said, over 160 submissions this year, and we had to whittle it down to four features and four shorts. Uh, sorry, four, 30 shorts. And so we're going to have two short programs, one on Friday, one on Saturday, one feature on Friday, and three features on Saturday. And when we watch them, we look for a lot of things. And one of the things is originality in the story. Um, we look for, uh, is it in focus? And is the di- and can you hear the dialogue? That's for us really important. <laughs> and then... Uh, <laughs> We just really want to make sure that we can see that there is a passion in the film that they're making. So this year we got films 
uh, from Chile. We got films from Argentina. Uh, we have a one that came in that's like the first zombie film ever made in Malaysia. Uh, wow. So that, and it's funny because the one from Malaysia, and we noticed one of the actors in it was one of the actors from a movie that we screened last year's FearCon, and she's in it too. And I was like, that's so interesting that she's in this, you know, movie that we're screening here this year. So, um, so there's the four features. One of them is called Apps. It's from Chile. And it's super interesting. It's kind of like uh, an anthology with five different stories, so five different directors. Uh, the other one is called Dark Fears from Argentina, also a super interesting film about kidnappers. Reset is another movie that we saw that got our attention about a woman that's kidnapped uh, by a, a, I guess a, are you just like a, not like a stalker, and then uh, the invasion the zombie infection invasion film, which is also incredibly interesting because it's very unique because it's the first one they've ever filmed there. So those are the reasons when we, we take a movie, even though there may have been other films that were better or different, but you have to take into consideration all the factors and all the factors fit into these four films. And then we've got a whole bunch of shorts that we're showing um and I I could go through all of them, but seriously, they need they can see all of the films on our website at phoenixfearcon.com. There is the posters on there and synopsis for each film. But it's just for us, we really really hope everyone likes and enjoys the selection that we picked. And uh, and our trophies this year are going to go to all of the best feature, the best short, the audience favorite, best director, uh, one or two other categories that I can't think of at the moment but we got some very cool trophies for this year if you look at the the subjects if you look at the synopses of the movie there it's really a compelling list it's very diverse very interesting one of the shorts that we got was called the last christmas of the universe and i don't know if anybody knows about a movie that came out a few years ago that was supposed to be the the filmmaker's resume and it was called fist of jesus and it was so so over the top, over the top, hilariously gory, that it was hilariously funny. And they did the same thing with this one, The Last Christmas of the Universe. It's the same filmmakers who did Fist of Jesus, who I am so thrilled that they submitted a film to us because uh, they take every single aspect of movie making and make a film with no money and tons of volunteers and tons and tons of special effects that are all practical. They don't use CGI, and it's hilariously great. Wow. Last year, you guys did the the FearCon uh, virtually. Are you doing that as well this year? Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's virtual and live. So live will only be for the two days that we have it, but the virtual is going to be for the two days we have it and then keep running all the way through to the end of December. So because we're packed with so many things going on, during the event that we want to be able to have people be able to see the things that they may not have had time to see. So we're posting all of those panels and all of those workshops and a couple of the performances and everything. And that's going to stay up on the site along with the marketplace. So if people wanted to shop for something and they forgot, they can go on our virtual marketplace and those vendors will be on the virtual marketplace as well. So they can shop there for whatever they might have missed and the live event. That's FearCon TV. That's what I had said before about FearCon TV. 
you have three mm-hmm. months now to log on and you have a streaming service of all the best of FearCon. So now when you do the um, the virtual virtual tickets and you, and you go online, are you is it only the four films and the 30 um, short films or did you have because I know last last year you had a, you had a like 14 features or something like that. Well, because last year we were virtual only, so we oh. only wanted to show the films this year that we actually picked for the live event. Um, we're not going to keep the feature films on the virtual site for more than the two days because all these feature films are in other festivals, and we don't want to interfere with their festival submission. But the shorts, they were fine with us leaving them up there for the duration. So all the short films will be up there. Uh, with the exception of like two or three that asked us not to keep them up there for the duration. But the rest of the shorts will be up there all the way through until the end of December. There will also be extended interviews with a lot of the guests and the panelists and the filmmakers. Uh, That will be up for three months. And we will even include several uh, what we'll call command performances from FearCon 9, uh, interesting interviews that may correlate to something going on this year. Absolutely. So there's plenty to look at for three months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to get it all in in those three months. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's so much knowledge, and, you know. That's what I adore about, the, about this con, too, is when I win, is it's just there's just so many aspects to it. It's not just, a, you know, a film festival or just a con. It's everything mixed together. And when you go in there, you learn something, so... It's, it's it's a blast. Um, I, I absolutely love it. Um, so what are you guys doing this year, uh, being that you're back and live in person? Um, what are some of the uh, COVID uh, precautions you guys are taking? This year we have, uh, because the building is run by ASU, uh, we are using their protocols. And their protocols are that there are little social distancing tabs around the space, but there's we're also asking for people to wear masks. We're not doing the uh, vaccination proof uh, because they don't require it in that building. So we're going to just honor that and just say, ask people to wear masks. But we highly advocate that uh, that people be vaccinated. We wish they were all vaccinated, but uh, you know, it's, it's not mandated, but we are definitely requiring everyone to wear masks. And then like for people who are attending the films and stuff, are you doing social distancing, like a couple chairs in between or, or is that? Well, is there's, that there's space in there. There should be enough space in there that they'll be far enough apart um, in the theater because of the fact that we've got so many things going on. There probably won't be as many people in the theater because there'll be people going to one of three rooms of panel discussions, two rooms of performances and vendors and celebrity um, autograph sessions. And so uh, I don't imagine that the theater will be full at any time during the event. Yeah, I was just asking because I know like, you know, um, Parkins or now the newly minted Majestic Theater that they they try to put those, um, you know, in place where you have a, a buffer of a seat or two in between you and the other person. So I thought I'd just ask that. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit, too, about the Phoenix uh, FearCon Foundation charity. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And I mean, I know you said that, you know, all the proceeds are, are well, proceeds are going to the um you know, helping people. Right, all stuff. the liquor proceeds and all the raffle tickets and portion of the ticket sales are all going to go to FearCon Foundation. We only just started it this year, so we started uh, putting all the information on our site, and we're working with different organizations uh, to help us 
raise money to be able to help families and children with catastrophic illnesses and with families that need help with resources with uh, housing and education. So once we've got that all settled, I'm trying to set up a whole account with GoFundMe so that we can help more than one family at a time. That's terrific. That is terrific. Uh, that's a, just an amazing thing you're doing. I mean, when, when I saw that you had made that, I I, I was just, you know, I applaud, I applaud you for that. So it was a really cool Thank thing. Thank you. It's just yeah. something I've wanted to do for a while. but And to be able to do it this year just makes me feel like very accomplished. Yeah, and I highly suggest people, um, you know, uh, donate and help out and stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a big advocate of doing that type of stuff. This is I, for those who don't know me, I do security for a living, so I try to help people for a living. Is basically what I do. So, you know, I, I cool. appreciate any time people are trying to do do things for charity and, and those type of things. So, I knew so you were a nice a, guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I am a monster, but uh, <laughs> in the best. Uh, <laughs> So I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, that's basically all we had for you. Um, I want to say to go out and buy tickets right away. Can you tell us a little bit about ticket prices? Because I know they're a little bit different um, if you buy them beforehand as opposed to at the door. Uh, they'll be a little bit higher at the door, but they can go to the box office at thephoenixfearcon.com. There's a bunch of different tiers. There's a general admission. There's a two-day pass. There's a VIP pass. There's a super VIP that is uh, sold only in advance that gets you not only your tickets and swag and stuff but it also gets you a hotel room for the night so and there's so we're selling some of the celebrities wanted to sell photo ops so those are on there as well but the box office is located at the phoenixfearcon.com website well i appreciate you guys coming are on you coming are you going to be at the are you going to be at the convention um yes i will be I, good well, yeah, good i look forward to meeting coming. you yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Um, I already have the days uh, requested off, so I'll be there one way or another. So. And I'm cool. saying this to your audience. If any of you uh, decide to get tickets because you've heard this podcast, then come and find me at Phoenix FearCon. Introduce yourself and say, I heard you on the podcast, and I will personally walk you around and let you meet some of the celebrities over there. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, VIP status, huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so yeah um appreciate you guys coming over um and taking some time out of your day date to talk to us and excited to uh you know see you guys in a couple weeks here so it's going to be a fun fun Terrific. october looking forward to it you bet all right well thank you very much we appreciate being on your show and good luck with everything this thank is terrific you. thanks for having us thank you Hey, everybody, it's John, and before we go, I just want to remind you to head on over to CrappyMovieReviews.com. It's exactly what you think it is, C-R-A-P-P-Y-M-O-V-I-E-R-E-V-I-E-W-S.com, and uh, you'll be able to find a whole bunch of my stuff there, my writings, uh, other projects I'm working on, and you can email me from that site, too, because I'd love to hear from you. And as always, you can find me, uh, Monster Dugan, on blazingminds.co.uk or as I'm joining recently, pophorror.com. You can check out any of my work online, author work through Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. And that'll do it for this edition of In the Mouth of Monster. For Joe Guillermo and John Schatzer, I'm Monster Dugan. Stay safe.